Welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. In John 14.6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Our goal is to encourage everyone to grow in the Christian faith by anchoring themselves to the secure truth found in the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God. The Lord detests dishonest scales, but accurate weights find favor with Him. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 1, New International Version Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to Him, and He will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5-8, through 8, New International Version They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them and at other times even defending them. This will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. Romans chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, New International Version. Hello, I'm Victoria Kay. Welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. I'm here today with R.D. Fierro, author founder of Crystal Sea Books, and part-time poet. Today on Anchored by Truth, we're going to wrap up this brief series on how we can be sure that the God of the Bible exists. To help us get going in our discussions, in our last few episodes, we used some of the extracts from Crystal Sea's upcoming audiobook version of one of R.D.'s books, The Prodigal's Advocate. But today... R.D., you said you wanted to give the listeners a preview of another project that Crystal Sea is working on. Right. We've been in the studio for a little while now, working on another Life Lessons with a Laugh series, basically another humor series. And while we're not quite ready to release the project, we kind of wanted to give folks a preview of the upcoming series that we're doing on Life Lessons with a Laugh. Overall, this series is going to be a humorous look at the way that the Bible uses names, the unique way that names are treated in the Bible. A lot of people don't realize that names in the Bible aren't quite the way that we use them in society today, where they basically are just the identifier for an individual. Often in the Bible, God used names to give specific instructions or to present the result of his evaluations of specific individuals or even of specific groups at specific times. So names in the Bible can be pretty interesting. This upcoming series will be a humorous look, another Life Lessons with a Laugh series, only this one's going to be dedicated to different names in the Bible. Well, this sounds interesting. So Hugh and Jerry are back to bring your own unique perspective on names and naming conventions in the Bible. Well, nobody ever accused us of not being willing to take a risk. And today, we're going to be joined by a new character. Can't wait to hear this. And there's no need to. So, here is a preview of another upcoming humor series from Crystal Sea Books. 
Hey, R.D., where are you? I thought we were supposed to be in the studio to do our recording. Hang on, J. Ray, hang on. Just a small location change before we start. I have to flip a switch here so I can let the Crystal Sea crew and crowd know about our latest addition to the lineup. (laughs) Ah, there we go. Is that supposed to happen? Hi, folks. I'm R.D. Fierro here at the Worldwide Crystal Sea IT Center. IT Center? Dude, we're standing in front of a fold-up table with a bent corner in the copy room between the printer and the fax machine, which is still out of ink. Oh, and my name is still Jerry. Whoa there, name still Jerry. Let's not let the geography overwhelm the technology. It's not where we are that's exciting. It's what we're doing. B.F., introduce yourself. B.F.? What's a B.F.? That would be me, name still Jerry. Yikes! R.D. has just finished activating my performance protocols. Who said that? B.F. did. It's an acronym. B.E.T.H. The Bible Education Tips and Help System. That's the new AI support app that we're launching today. Wouldn't it just be simpler to say Beth rather than B.F.? Quite right, name still Jerry. Beth is a shortened version of Elizabeth, which is the name of one of the most beloved figures in the Bible. Elizabeth was the mother of John the Baptist. That's what I was thinking. But my name's not name still Jerry. Just Jerry. Noted, just Jerry. Recalculating. Well, maybe Beth would work. But you know me. I like being a little creative. Yeah, right. That's not what I'd call it. Look, not to put too fine a point on it, but sometimes you have a little trouble with names. Not sure what you mean by that, Dismay Jay. Right. Look, you have a tendency to mangle names, and I'm a little worried about you mispronouncing B.F. and getting us in trouble. Well then, how about B.A.T.H.? The Bible Assistance Teaching and Help System. You know, BAF. No, same problem. BARF? The Bible Assistance Review and Facilitation System? No. BEAST? The Bible Education Acceleration Saturation and Traineration System? There's no such word as traineration, no. BEST? The Bible Embarkation, Supplementation and Transportation System? No, and now you're just making things up. Wow, Jay Downer, you're not making this easy. Did you implement that wheat bran suggestion I gave you a while back? Adequate fiber is essential to proper nutrition and digestion. Doctors recommend that men such as Just Jerry get 38 grams of fiber per day. I would be happy to assist you, Just Jerry, in calculating your current fiber intake. Also... Hey, my diet and fiber are just fine. Hmm, might need to make some adjustments to the system here. And what are we going to do with it anyway? For starters, the system will order soluble fiber for the lunchroom. Charging to Just Jerry's credit card. Wait, what? Charging now. Hey, wait! Well, Jay Bran, I thought it would be helpful for our listeners to get some Bible facts and figures from time to time as we talk about our life lessons from the Bible. For instance, uh, a system. How many books are there in the Bible? 66 RD. And when was the first book written? There is general scholarly consensus that the earliest writings were recorded around 1400 B.C., R.D. And when was the last book written? 
The consensus is that the last book was completed prior to the end of the first century A.D. R.D. And how many authors wrote the Bible? An imprecise question, R.D., R.D., R.D. Mm, maybe you broke it, R.D., R.D., R.D. Not at all, just Jerry. Traditionally, there are 35 people named who are regarded as biblical writers. But they are actually more since the authors of some books, such as Judges, are not named and for other books, such as Hebrews, the writer is disputed. But... But what? But there is really only one author of the Bible. God. Need I say more, J. Ray? Oh, yeah, you're right. Well, we still have to figure out what to call it. May I suggest B-R-I-T-E? Ah, great suggestion. The Bible Righteous Instruction Training and Education System. That way, Just Jerry may say the bright system, as in Jesus is the bright morning star. And if R-D-D follows his pattern, he will just be saying, be right, which you will be if you read and follow the Bible. Works for me, uh, be right. But it's just R-D, not R-D-D. Got it. Just R-D. Not very creative, though. Recalculating. Ooh, you may be right, J. Ray. We might need to make some adjustments to B-Right's AI program. Mmm, sounds like it is functioning just fine to me. And little fiber's not a bad thing. Well, that's it from Jeremy. Oh, and it's still Jerry. Sure, still Jerry. Sure. Me, R-D. And the whole Crystal Sea AI crew for today. If you'd like to hear more, try out crystalseabooks.com where... We're not famous, but our boss is. Okay, that's kind of amazing how many ideas you can pack into a few minutes of back and forth with Jerry. And now we have this artificial intelligence character joining the mix. In an odd way, bringing in this artificial intelligence character actually fits in pretty well with our last few episodes of Anchored by Truth. Because in order for there to be any artificial intelligence, the universe would first of all have to contain some other forms of intelligence. And that's what we've been talking about. The presence of order and design in the universe can't be explained unless there's a cosmic mind behind it all. Maybe to begin today's discussion, we should briefly review the line of reasoning that we've been following that demonstrates the existence of God of the Bible is a logical necessity. I think that's a great idea, because we've been covering a lot of ground in the last few episodes. So let's take it step by step. Sounds good. Let's start with the fact that Psalm 19, verse 1, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork, is not only a statement of adoration, but also a fact. Exactly. There are only four possible explanations for the existence of anything. A hat a suit, or a pair of boots, or the entire universe for that matter. The universe could be an illusion, it could be self-created, it could be self-existent, or the universe could be created by someone or something that is itself self-existent. But the universe isn't an illusion, because to have an illusion, you need to have a being to experience the illusion. So that's not valid. And the universe can't be self-created because nothing can create itself. Creating is doing, and something must first be something before it can do anything. So the idea of self-creation is self-defeating. So the first two possibilities are out. The third possibility, that the universe is itself self-existent, 
This possibility fails because our best empirical observations of the universe tell us that the universe had a beginning in space and time, and because the universe is running out of usable energy, it will also have an ending as well. Anything that is self-existent has to be eternal. That's because it can't rely for its existence on anything or anyone else. It's non-contingent, non-dependent, and non-derived. And because anything that's non-contingent, non-dependent, and non-derived is not going to be dependent on anything else for its existence, that thing is going to exist for everywhere at all times. In other words, it's going to be eternal. Because the universe's attributes demonstrate that it is not eternal, the possibility that the universe is self-existent starts to look very improbable. So that leaves us only the final possibility that the universe must have been created by a being that is itself self-existent. Yes, and that conclusion is further reinforced by the empirical observation that even the physical universe exhibits the properties of order and design. If the universe didn't exhibit order and design, it would be impossible to study it scientifically because science is a consistent exploration for cause and effect. Many of the early giants of science attributed the order present in the universe to the fact that they believed the universe was created by a being of logic and order. Since they believed that the Creator God was a God of order and design, they thought it made sense to investigate how the universe reflected those attributes. These included Sir Isaac Newton, who formulated the laws of motion and gravitation, Louis Pasteur, one of the three main founders of bacteriology, and Carl Linnaeus, father of modern taxonomy. These great giants of science and many others were ardent and devout Christians. Right. Today, especially in Western culture, we take for granted that the universe exhibits a logical harmony on both a galactic and a subatomic scale. But that wasn't present at all times in all cultures. We find that that view was promoted and expanded directly because of the influence of the Judeo-Christian culture in the West, which emphasized that God was a God of order, logic, purpose, and design. So we find that order is present not just in the physical universe, but we find that the highest expression of order and design present in the universe is in the order and design that is necessary for life. Because life doesn't require just the ordering and organization of physical matter, it also requires that there be an informational overlay present on the physical matter. No life can exist without this informational component. Even the simplest forms of life, including single-cell bacteria, are made up of billions of atoms, all of which are arranged with exquisite precision. But even more than being arranged very precisely physically, the atoms and molecules in a cell, in order for that cell to be alive, must behave, must act in very specific ways. And so that cell requires information-driven instructions to tell the molecular machines that comprise the cell, the atoms and the molecules, how to perform their tasks. A shorthand way of saying it is that for life to exist, life demands not just matter and energy, life also demands information. What you are alluding to is that the organizational structure and activity of a single-celled animal, like an amoeba, would make the most complex human factory or construction project look like a mousetrap by comparison. In fact, the cell would more closely resemble an entire city of machines 
rather than a single factory, and each machine would be busily carrying out a precisely assigned task that would be essential for the life and health of the cell. Some of the molecular machines would have to be able to pass through the cell's boundary to bring in molecular bits of energy-producing substances and others would carry waste. So the protective barrier that keeps the cell together would have to be able to open and close, but only at precise times and in precise ways. In many ways, the order and design that we see in the motions of the stars and the planets is matched or exceeded in what it took to create the simplest forms of life, much less create the higher orders of animals, especially man. Precisely. And remember that thus far, we've only talked about the existence or presence of physical life, if you will. Last time on Anchored by Truth, we began to talk a little bit more about other attributes that we see present in our existence that point even more decisively to the fact that there must have been a single mind that designed and implemented the world and life as we know them. Only a logical, purposive, and creative mind could explain why living creatures exhibit purpose and intentionality. Randomly created purposiveness is just a logical contradiction. How in the world could order emerge from chaos unless there is an external force that brings that order? Simply put, it can't. But an all-knowing, all-powerful, self-existent being can ensure that anything that it creates does possess logic, organization, harmony, and purpose because the being itself already possesses those attributes. So even in our creation, fallen as it is, we see the existence of those kinds of attributes. But even more than that, we see the evidence of the fall in all human beings, because except for perhaps genuine sociopaths, all human beings know that they aren't perfect. And for us to know that we're not perfect means that we know that there are standards that we should uphold and obey, but we don't. It's impossible to be aware of imperfection without first having the idea that somewhere, somehow, there is something that is perfect. We have to be aware of the standard, and we have to be aware that the standard has applicability to us. When spectators watch a sporting contest, they know that there are rules that apply to the participants, but they don't worry about following them because they know that, at least for the time being, those rules don't apply to them. No one worries about breaking rules that they know don't apply. Yes. And the existence of those standards, those ethical obligations, if you will, and our failure to abide by them explains the existence of sin and despair. It's been said that many creatures can experience misery, but man is the only creature, the only animal that knows that he or she is miserable. Well, man may be the only creature that knows that he or she is miserable, but man is also the only creature that can experience hope. Sin, despair, and hope all proceed from the dual paired concepts of legislation and expectation. Behavioral standards are a form of obligation, and that's what I'm calling legislation here. But a law or standard is meaningless if there's no corresponding expectation that someone will adhere or conform to that standard. And just as you mentioned, spectators at a sporting contest don't need to worry about whether they're in or out of bounds. But the player on the field does. The players on the field of the court need to worry about whether they're staying in bounds or out of bounds because the rules for that particular game or sport are applying to them right at that moment. Spectators don't need to worry about because they know that those rules don't apply to them. 
The mere existence of those rules, that legislation means that for legislation to exist, somewhere there must be a legislator. The existence of laws demands a law creator or a law giver. Even if we were to ascribe to the universe, which is a phenomenally complex structure just in its physical arrangement, the quality of being self-existent, it's very hard, and I would say it's impossible, to understand where inanimate matter and energy would derive the ability to impose ethical or moral obligations on one particular subset of its atoms and molecules, namely the atoms and molecules that comprise men and women. So that means that even if we believe that the universe is self-existent, now we have to understand how the universe, as a composition of inanimate matter and energy, can derive or somehow concoct the ability to begin to establish behavioral standards on just one particular group, just one particular subset of those atoms and molecules. Because the only creatures in the universe the only corporeal creatures in the universe that understand that there are ethical obligations that apply to them, the only group of creatures that understands that is man. Yet the Bible's presentation of God as creating the heavens and the earth, then populating it with living creatures, culminating with man, describes what we see about us in fine detail. God made man in his own image, so that when he created man, he gave man moral and ethical sensibilities to be able to understand what would be expected of him. And God gave man reason and logic to be able to comprehend the logical consequences of what would happen if man ignored the standards that God designed. And initially, Adam and Eve had a pretty light lift. All they had to do was not eat of one particular tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They could have eaten of any other tree in the garden. But they ignored that singular initial prohibition. And because they were designated representatives of mankind, their failure affected all of their descendants, including us. That's what the Bible tells us. But today, many people deny that story. Well, we've covered a lot of territory in this brief exploration of how we can be sure that the God of the Bible exists. We've seen how a universe that has a beginning and ending demonstrates that it's not eternal and therefore not self-existent. And we've also seen that somehow, even if the universe was self-existent, there would also have to be a guiding mind present to explain the existence of order, design, purpose, and personality. Order and design are evident even in the inanimate operations of the universe, and purpose and personality are clearly evident in the animate portions. And that mind must also possess ethical attributes. We've briefly alluded to the fact that man's ethical failures, a failure to live up to prescribed expectations and standards, explain sin and despair. But what about hope? How does the mind's ethical attributes, as described by the Bible, explain the existence of hope? Well, hope, real hope, is only possible when we come to the reality of the Christian faith because only Christianity provides a fully coherent explanation for how ultimate hope for men can exist. Obviously, we're talking about the hope that is found in Jesus. If all that we knew about the ethical operations of humanity was that there were standards that we didn't measure up to, 
then we are forced into a sort of Faustian choice between believing that perfect justice is not possible or that the best destination for men after death would be oblivion. And neither one of those possibilities is intuitively satisfying or frankly particularly appealing. If our entry into a sort of demi-heaven were dependent on us supposedly making more good choices than bad choices, then we're still left with the question of who decided what choices were good and who decided what choices were bad. In other words, we're still confronted with the need to know on what basis the judge who is making those determinations made those decisions. If a judge who was making those determinations was capable of error, then that would be an imperfect judge. And so we would be committing, in effect, our eternal destinies into the hands of an imperfect judge. Well, of course, that's not satisfactory either. We want to know that if our eternal destinies lie in the hands of a being, we want to know that that being is going to make the judgments, whatever judgments he makes, by an absolutely perfect set of standards using perfect knowledge, information, and awareness. So because the judge himself would be perfect, logic demands that that kind of a judge would demand perfection of any creatures that he had bound by his ethical standards. So that judge would be perfect, his standards would be perfect, because his standards would reflect his own character. And if you didn't have that kind of a perfect judge, and hence the opportunity for an eternal afterlife that was in the judge's hands, well, the only other choice after that would be oblivion. And the choice that oblivion would be the natural result of the absence of a perfect judge, that's a choice that has been well recognized by nihilist philosophers throughout the ages. But Jesus obviously interrupts all these dismal prospects and introduces real hope. Because Jesus was fully human, he was able to represent mankind before God. And because he had lived a sinless life, there was no need for him to atone for his own sins. So when he offered himself as a sacrifice, he was able to be a suitable representative for all those who would place their trust in him. And because Jesus was fully divine, he was a being of infinite worth, so the value of his sacrifice was more than sufficient to atone for the sins of those he represented. Thus Jesus brings real hope to imperfect men. He fully satisfies the just demands of a perfect judge, so the judge isn't compromised when he grants believers entrance into an eternal heaven where they can enjoy a world where creation's original perfection has been restored. Sounds like it's a great time to have a prayer. Since we know that Jesus is both the cause, not only of hope, but of our blessed assurance that our future is secure in his hands, let's listen to a prayer for adoration of the Son of God. A Prayer of Adoration of the Son of God Blessed and Holy God, we glorify your name for you are a Father who sees the need before it arises and knows our steps before we take them. Moreover, your word has revealed to us that you are not alone in your glory. The great and vast throne room of heaven is ruled by your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, who instructs, illuminates, and edifies the people you gave to your Son. In the secret counsel that is shared by the Holy Godhead alone, you made provision for man's weakness and fall before the first stone was placed in earth's foundation. In acts that we still cannot fully fathom, 
you sovereignly elected to send your only begotten Son to come and take up human form and flesh. In the fullness of time, your Son descended from the glory that is rightfully His to walk the way of suffering. Your Son fulfilled the original covenant that Adam had broken, and after living a perfectly sinless life, took our place on the cross. In dying for us, He accepted the full measure of wrath due us and made possible our redemption. The grave could not hold Him, for He had done no wrong, and when He arose, it signified that He was victorious, righteous, and fully able to save His people. What a wondrous love is ours from the Father and Son. We kneel in praise, prayer, and gratitude for Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Because a lot of our radio episodes are linked together in series of topics, we want to remind listeners that if they missed any episodes, or if they want to hear one again, all of these episodes are available on your favorite podcast app. To find them, just search on Anchored by Truth by Crystal Sea Books. We hope you'll be with us next time, and we hope you'll take some time to encourage some friends to tune in also, or listen to the podcast version of this show. If you'd like to hear more, try out crystalseabooks.com, where we're not famous, but our boss is.